All right, we are in Job chapter 18. Job 18. So we're here in this second section, really, of Job, uh, of going through some of the, the, the second round of speeches. And so Bildad's up. Uh, it's his turn in the order here. So uh, we're going to go through these again, kind of by sections. Um, verse 1 says, Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long till you put an end to words? Gain understanding and afterwards, then we'll talk. Why are we counted as beasts and regarded as stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or shall the rock be removed from its place? Bildad here is, I think, really this whole this whole section, Bildad is trying to silence Job, obviously, right? He starts off, he's like, you should stop talking. Um, and when we encounter um, when we encounter Bildad, right, he has a few main criticisms uh, here, um, and or, or excuse me, not Bildad. When we encounter Elihu, excuse me, at the end of the at the end of the book, Elihu is going to come in and talk, right? What are Elihu's main criticisms, if you remember Job at all. Elihu has just a few criticisms of the of these guys. He kind of digs into Job pretty deeply, but you remember what? I know we, we've referred to it, so unless you've gone read Job recently, you probably don't. So he has just a few criticisms. And the first one is he comes to him and says, you know, I, I, I didn't talk a lot because you guys were older and I expected you guys to be smart and I was waiting for wisdom to come from you guys and there wasn't a whole lot of it. Um, so um, that was one thing. Um, and he also uh, said, you know, um, you've never answered Job's questions. Right? Every, they've had, it's not that everything they've said was wrong, it's just whenever Job answers a question, they never or asks a question, they never answer it. They just kind of go off on their own thing. Um, they weren't right a lot, but even when they were, it wasn't really that helpful. Right? Um, so these are basically uh, Elihu's criticism of, of them. And, and you see kind of some of that, I think, in, in here. Uh, typically, they're guilty of oversimplification, and we're going to get to some of that. Bildad has oversimplification in spades. <laughs> so, um, as we go into the next section, uh, what what do people do when they cannot prove their point? What do people do when they can't prove their point? Yeah. So so you have to intimidate people, right? The, what is, uh, I, I forget who it was, I think it was actually, I looked it up and I want to say it was a, like a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon guy from like hundreds of years ago had a quote, it was a great quote, and it said, uh, uh, profanity is the attempt of a weak mind to express itself forcibly. <laughs> it's like, um, and you can't, 
prove your point. You can't argue your thought, and so you get, you know, you, you try to intimidate the other person. What else uh, do people do? Build that as a change the subject. Okay, change the subject. Sure. Um, and, that, and I think Bildad does that a little bit here too, and then you see that what they can't really prove him wrong, so they don't really ever answer his question. They they kind of go off and they either you need to shut up, shut up. That's kind of you know my summary of verse two, eighteen, verse two. Yeah. Fallacies, like yeah, like, yeah, sure, yeah. And uh, you you have to come up with some way to support your your argument. You you tend to resort to things that don't, right? Um, and uh, and there will be more, you know, as we go through this book. You there just you could probably teach a class on logical fallacies just from the Book of Job. <laughs> so uh, you know, like a college degree. Like this is this one, and this is this one, and these are great examples of what not to do in a debate. <laughs> Um, so, so you go through Bildad, and even in this opening, you see some of the things that people do when they can't prove their point, when they're getting frustrated. Shut up, verse 2. That's the summary of that. Uh, do you think I'm stupid? Right? Right? So, so you kind of make, make somebody else kind of, well, I don't want to call you stupid. You know, so, so it's another form of an intimidation. Um, so if I'm not stupid, therefore I must be right. No, smart people are wrong sometimes. That, that is possible that a smart person can be wrong. I'm not calling you stupid, I'm just calling you wrong. Um, and then you get into personal attacks, right? Let me, let me turn this back on you. Right? And what, is, what are his personal attacks? Right here in verse 4. This is you tear yourself in anger. Almost like he's blaming the physical problems because of Job's anger. You're, you're just, you're so angry, you know. You must be having these issues because of your anger. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, Shall the earth be forsaken for you, or shall the rock be removed from its place? In other words, do you think that the world revolves around you? you know, everybody else has to shut up. Everybody else has to you know, change their logic and change what we've always understood for your case. You know? so, so it's kind of a, a personal attack. And so I want to get into more of the oversimplification. Uh, and this is a little bit longer section. So we're going to read verse uh, 5 through the end of the chapter. Uh, and again, I don't know if he's quoting things here or if this is his own. It seems like Job's friends do a lot of quoting of older people. So I don't know if that that um, that last verse, you know, shall the earth be forsaken to you, if he's, he's referring to, you know, like all of the things that we've, that the earth, the people of this world have discovered, has to, we have to get rid of it all because, you know, because of you, Job, because of you determined the, based on your situation, and you're calling yourself innocent, so everybody else must be wrong. I don't know if that, and then if verse 5 through 21 is going to be a 
you know, an explanation of that, um, or if this is just his own conclusions. Either way, he says, The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and the lamp beside him is put out. The steps of his strength are shortened. His own counsel casts him down, for he is cast into a net by his own feet. He walks into a snare, and the net takes him by the heel, and and a snare lays hold of him. A noose is hidden for him on the ground, and a trap for him in the road. Terrors frighten him on every side and drive him to his feet. Strength is starved, and destruction is ready at his side. It devours his skin. The firstborn of death devours his limbs, or some kind of put that backwards. It devours his firstborn. Uh, He is uprooted from the shelter of his tent. They parade uh, him before the king of terrors. They dwell in his tents who are none of his. Brimstone is scattered on his dwelling. His roots are dried out below, and his branches wither above. The memory of him perishes in the earth, and he has no name among uh, the renowned. He is driven from light into darkness and chased out into the world, and he has neither son nor posterity among his people, nor any remaining in his dwelling. Those in the west are astonished at his day, and those in the east are frightened. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. There's some... When you look at this, you know, you could read this without having anything external. If this was like a part of Proverbs, we'd probably go, this is pretty profound stuff. And yet we know that, you know, we read this in the context of Job and we go, what in what a moron, <laughs> right? Um, it's just kind of interesting that the context changes to everything. Um, so it's not really wrong. It's just the application here. And so I want to kind of go through the there's a, there's a, a really a, an outline. Uh, almost you could you could you can break this right down into an outline of of the oversimplifications that he makes. So, um, but I want to start with verse 21. Uh, and look at the conclusion he reaches. Uh, what is the conclusion that he's attempting to support with all of these arguments? That he doesn't know God. All right, that's a that's a pretty. I mean, that's a pretty judgmental thing that we're saying here. At the end, this happens to people who don't know God. Job, just saying. Not saying, just saying. <laughs> Um, and uh, so, so he's definitely insinuating that Job does not know God. I mean, this is where we've come to. Uh, and we've come this way slowly but surely. Well, you know, you're rejecting God's wisdom, or there's been all these little things down the line. You don't pray as much as you should, or, you know, you haven't asked God. You don't know God. Well, you can't get any further than that, right? I mean, we've gone about as far as we can go. Um, <clears throat> Job is unrighteous. And so, so there's... The, he doesn't allow for any middle ground, which is 
really the definition of oversimplification. There's no, you know, you could be closer to God. You know, that uh, you might have something in your life to check out, Job. It's like all or nothing. You don't know God. You're unrighteous. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess we're it's out in the open. What what we think here. Um, and and this is uh, something that people do. Oversim- an oversimplification. How do we classify? How do we classify people when we oversimplify? Stereotypes. Okay. By stereotypes. I tend to like put you in a box. You know, you're 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 obviously a victim of your own choices, and this is, you know, the the circumstances that you're in right now is because of the choices that you've made. Okay, that's what Joe's friends are doing, and we do it too. And I think a lot of times you can do that when you know the person. Really, when we, we think about the setting or what we know of the setting, they've had to make an appointment to come all this way to visit Job, right? They don't really know him. He's a friend from whatever period in time that they knew each other. They don't know what he's doing in his life. You know, you, if I know somebody and I'm, I'm kind of around them frequently and I know the choices that they're making specifically, I can go, you know, the reason you're having money problems... You know, I, I can do that. The reason that you have a ton of stress, the reason, I, I can do that. I know them. That, that, that's not what these guys are doing. They're saying, you must be unrighteous because they're connecting two dots which may not be connected. And actually, we know aren't connected. Um, so, so we do tend to classify and, and put things. But, but one of the things, and I read an article, um, was it was talking about moralizing or demoralizing a person. And what, I, and what was meant by that was that we tend to paint people as all of something. Um, or humanizing or dehumanizing is the same thing. We tend to paint people who disagree with us religiously or politically or whatever as all wrong. And, and by virtue of being wrong, not just wrong factually, but we paint them as um, immoral because of that. We moralize their error. Uh, so, so this group of people is out to do this thing because of their wrong. Right? They're out to whatever. Um, and, and maybe there are people that, that do that, but th- that, are, that would fit that category. Uh, but from our vantage point, do we have the ability to paint that person as all wrong? Do we, do we have that ability? And probably we're like Job's friends. We don't really have that vision uh, to be able to do that. Um, and it's a, a type of oversimplification. Um, so we go through, let's back up then and look at some of the things uh, just very briefly that they oversimplify uh, as or build that oversimplifies uh, in this uh, as evidence that supports his conclusion. What happens to the wicked? Back up to verse five and six. What is he? What is he? 
given in support of his conclusion? What happens to, to these unrighteous people that don't know God? Okay. The light of the wicked goes out. The flame of his fire doesn't shine. So what is he attacking? The light is dark in his tent. God is his life. Okay. All right. So he's talking. Right. Okay. So he's he's attacking his fortune, and by fortune, I don't necessarily mean his wealth, but I mean just his good fortune. the light goes out in your dwelling, that you don't have, God is not with you. Right? You're, you're opposed to God, and so, so you will not have success. Right? And it seems like you, you, when, we, when you're trying to prove a point, you pick things that are very convenient. Right? Uh, and we're going to see that as we go through this even further. Uh, you, you pick things that support and that's another logical fallacy. Right? It's, it's, uh, it's, I forget what it's called, but it's where you, you pick the information that supports your conclusion and, and you kind of eliminate the rest of it. And so, um, so verse 7 through 10, what does he attack? Or use as a support, whatever. Okay. He doesn't specifically mention health. I think that's going to get down a little bit later. Um, we're going to talk about some of the physical things. Verse 7 through 10, they're kind of general. Um, but it's, it's sort of like, a, like the, the idea of... From, from the idea of justice, if you look at some of these things. It's like, it catches up with you. Right? If you, have, you ever said, oh, they'll get theirs. It'll happen. You, you see someone flying by on the highway. Yeah, I'm going to see them up there eventually. Eventually that person's going to do something. Right? Uh, you're kind of hoping that you get to see it, but you, you try to take solace in the fact that they're going to get theirs, and they probably will. Right? Justice catches up to you. And that's the, a generality, and it's not, in general, it's not wrong. It, it doesn't always happen, though, um, when we want it. Um, and so wickedness catches up with you. And, and he, does, he does start to get specific um, as he's attacking justice. He says he, ca- he is cast into a net by his own feet. And um, let's see... Uh, his own counsel casts him down. Right? Uh, so he's almost attacking Job. He's almost suggesting that Job, I think, has gotten his wealth and got what he got from schemes. And some, some versions even say that from his own schemes. Right? The reason you lost it all is because you must have gotten it it's from improper motives. God didn't bless you with that. You got that from some scheme, and it caught up with you. Um, and this is true, but again, this is, this is kind of a, a flaw in logic. So if I observe that A has caused B in this situation, I can make two incorrect conclusions. I can conclude that A always causes B, right? 
and I can conclude that B always results from A, and that might not be true. There might be some overlap where that is, but there can be a lot of things that I do A and I never cause B. And I can, I can have misfortune, and it might not have been caused from something wrong. And they've really oversimplified this, um, this problem. So, so it's very dangerous to start concluding things about people based on something that happens to them. Uh, verse 11 and 12, what is the attack? Okay, so he, they summarize that, and I think I think um, really verse eleven through fourteen dwell on on that. Um, we could break it down and even generalize it that way, but I think verse eleven and twelve focus on one aspect of those events, and that is the emotional state of Job. Well, and this is where we start to see, I think, him cherry picking the the descriptions that Job has given, and and say, well, yeah, of course, this happens to, to people that do bad. So because you've described it, you know, that, that's, that's the evidence I'm going to use. But, uh, yeah, you're distressed. Terrorists frighten him on every side and drive him to his feet. His strength is starved and destruction is ready to decide. And so, well, yeah, people who are uh, godless people have emotional problems. Okay, that's... A lot of times that's true. <laughs> but not everybody with emotional problems is a godless person. Uh, so I grew up, I, I remember listening to a sermon when I was a kid talking about how depression was a sin. I don't know if that's true. I don't, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I don't think I'm going to uh, align myself with that. But there was this idea. Uh, you know, I suppose that would have been like in the 80s, 90s, I heard that sermon. Uh, but then verse 13 and 14 talks about his physical state. And this one, I mean, if it wasn't sad, it would be amusing what he does uh, here. So what, what, does, uh, what, does, what do these terrors do? How does he summarize? What, what is his conclusion about what this godless person, what will happen to a godless person? Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, so that's verse. Uh, that's verse eleven. Uh, verse thirteen. Sorry, I, I might have said verse eleven. My eyes are kind of. Was verse thirteen? What does it say? He does. Yeah. Well, that, that's convenient. Oh, so <laughs> it's like uh, you have you you have you have you have skin problems. You know, uh, if you're a godless person, you'll have skin problems. Like, <laughs> well, that was a little too convenient. Um, so, uh, uh, not every person who, I, I would say actually the, the, the majority of people who are godless probably don't have skin problems. I think if we're, if we're you know, just analyzing this, uh, it must be a lot of teenagers are very unrighteous people right around age 13, you know. <laughs> uh, the firstborn... He attacks the. Oh, you have you've lost your children. Uh, you know when you're godless, you, you lose your children. 
Again, it, it, that's a little too convenient. You just look at somebody's situation and, and go, you know, I'm going to prove my point. I'm going to just look at the things that are happening bad to you, and this is what I'm going to use to support the evidence and, and my conclusion that bad things are happening to you because uh, you're, you're obviously godless. Um, and, then, and then he goes on into a lengthy, the, I'd say from, from the end of, beginning from verse 15 on down really through the conclusion, what is he attacking? I suppose if he wanted to summarize it in one thing. What's he attacking? His legacy. You read my notes. <laughs> legacy, yeah. Reputation and legacy, all that. Was, was, I was thinking it was so important to the ancients, like if you read the, um, um, the, uh, the attack on Troy, what was the, uh, what was it called? I can't remember. Um, the Aeneid? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, you know, it was like, it's all about Glory. Yeah. And it's like you know, it's, you know, uh, hey, well then you'll be forgotten. You know, that, that was their biggest fear for for warriors. Right. And, you know, or anybody of importance, no one's going to remember you. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, that's the end of the world. Yeah, and and, and so legacy was even more important in a sense to the Jews because I mean, I, I realize he's not Jewish, but but we're talking about that same part of the world. We're talking about a culture that probably was later up, you know, in Jewish. Was was their lineage, you know, uh, even before they get a lot of messianic prophecies, you know, before they we always connect it to oh you, their genealogies were important because they wanted to be the you know the one through whom the Messiah came and that that might add to it but they kept their genealogies before that before they understood messianic prophecy, they understood the importance of family heritage, and, and he attacks both. He's like, your branches and your roots. I mean, you're not, no one's going to remember your ancestors, and no one's going to, you're not going to have any descendants. Your branches and your roots are, are done for, that if, if you're a godless person. Right? Uh, so so he's, a, he's attacking all of that, that legacy. Uh, and it, again, it's, it's, it, it's, it's oversimplified. Um, so, so I want to get into Job's answer here, um, and I don't want to do it in great detail. Um, <clears throat> so I want to open, he, he gives his opening in verse 1 through 6. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Job answered and said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you've reproached me, you're not ashamed that you've wronged me? And if indeed I've erred, then my error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourself against me and plead my disgrace against me, then know that God has wronged me and surrounded me. Or, um, but I, Does anyone have a different word other than wronged in verse 6? Does it say wronged there? Yeah. 
uh, and surrounded me with his net. So we're going to get into that. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about, his, so Job's defenses begins with basically a uh, talking about the destructive nature of what they're doing and still continuing his claim to innocence. Uh, how many speeches has there been? Yeah, I've counted five. <laughs> right? We went through all three uh, the first time, and now we're, we're on the second set, and there's been uh, Eliphaz and Bill. That, that's five. So I don't know if uh, I've heard different explanations. I've heard that, that this is kind of a, um, you know, like maybe those speeches were kind of in parts, and they've just all been summarized, so that there were ten. And I've kind of heard a better explanation that they use the word ten like we use the word a dozen. And, there, and, and someone gave an example of that, went through the ten times you've done this, and, ten, and, and illustrated when there was definitely not ten times that something happened. Uh, that ten was used like we would use a dozen. You've done this a dozen times. Someone in Job's condition might not have been counting speeches. You know, like, okay, there was five, and so there's, now there's six. You know, it's like, just like, you've done this a dozen times now. We keep having the same speech. And you're, you're, it says, you're breaking me apart with your words. Uh, and their words, it, it just, you know, like we talked about with the Job's last speeches, I start to get a different feeling of Job, where, where I don't see this really uh, firm, I mean, his words come across as, as maybe different than he was in person. I would start to see a kind of a heartbroken guy. Um, uh, and someone who might not be as strong in person as he reads on paper. Um, but he claims innocence again. Um, is it, you're not ashamed that you've wronged me. Now, what does he claim in, in verse 4? Does he allow? Okay. Okay, so... so what what is he claiming about his error? And I think he's he's uh, he's answering through here. He's going to be answering some accusations. What was one of Bildad's accusations of him in the previous speech? He didn't know God. Okay, that was the conclusion. But but he he mentioned one thing in particular about why he was failing. Okay, he was, remember he was talking about those schemes. Yeah. Your schemes. You, and, and throughout these speeches, there have been things like, you know, you, you're you, you hurting the oppressed and various things like that. And I think what he said here is, my, my, if I have sinned, it's, it's like one of those sins that doesn't have a victim. My, my sins have been internal if I have sins. That I've not, you're claiming I've hurt other people. If there are sins, there are sins that remain with me. There are sins that are my sins. I've never oppressed a person. I've never defrauded a person. I've never done these things that you're claiming. I've gotten rich from schemes. I've never done that. Um, if I've done wrong, 
then those are things that, you know, I've said something I shouldn't have, or, you know, something to that effect. And I think that's kind of the, the idea. I don't think he's claiming perfection. But I think, again, we go back to that idea of their idea of righteousness and, and what their world understood it being blameless in that respect uh, had to do with you know your interaction with people. You were blameless. Um, <clears throat> So Job answers the way that they've logically connected dots of his situation to his guilt. This is interesting. Um, I don't think this is meant disrespectfully when he says, because you read that, well, know then that God has wronged me. If, if you're going to exalt yourselves against me and plead my disgrace against me, know that God has wronged me. Is he being disrespectful of God? It sounds it, doesn't it, when you first read that? Well, know this, God has wronged me. I think he's actually trying to give credit to God. Know this, that if, if you're trying to discredit me, I'm giving credit, God is the one who has chosen to do this. You're putting this on me, this has to do with God. I don't think he's saying God's... Uh, the sinful. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so wrong doesn't necessarily mean wrong in the sense of like we think of a wrong. You've wronged me. You've been not just unfair, but um, you've been malicious. Right. The word wrong doesn't necessarily necessarily carry the idea of being malicious in intent. It just has to do with harm. And he's giving credit to God for the physical harm in his life. It's, like, it's not from me. Um, yeah? Uh, in Young's literal translation, it says that God has turned me upside down. Okay, so, so and there's that idea, like he's reversed my fortunes. Um, and, and so uh, that's, a, that's a good thought. Uh, I read that in the commentary, but I didn't read the a version that had it translated. Like That's why I was uh, kind of asking for somebody that, if, if there has a different version out there. So... Um, yeah. It's interesting to me that all along he seems to blame God and not Satan. Yeah. Did they know of Satan? Well, see, this is this is the interesting thing because we have the book written at some point later. They had to have an idea of Satan, but I don't know how much they knew about you know doctrinally and various things like that. I mean. Certainly, if they knew stories from the old, you know, they knew about the serpent. So maybe they didn't have anything doctrinally to connect the serpent to uh, to Satan. Maybe they didn't know of us. You know, if if you were told the serpent was in the garden and that's all you knew from Adam and Eve telling the story, you don't know about the anything celestial. There's just the snake in the garden. And it's like, okay, that's weird, but okay, great great grandpa told me so. You might not have any spiritual insight. You know, it's, it's hard for us to, who have a Bible and know all this stuff to look at this story as though we don't have it. You know, what would they possibly have that we, you know, to, to put all these pieces together? This might be a very natural conclusion if, if you don't have 
all of the information. They're all trying to connect dots. He's actually connecting dots the same way they are. They're connecting it to, to God, but they're connecting it to God as punishing him, and he's just connecting it to God, just as a person who chose to do this. So, uh, and, yeah? I was just thinking to myself, because um, you had made a comment before that kind of resonated with me, and I, and I, I kind of agree. It, it almost seems to me like, like some of his friends, they're, they're, not, they're not just like... You know, they weren't just pointing out stuff that was happening to them. They were connecting the dots with things that they had read. Like, for instance, this is an example I thought, like, you know, you, you take Hammurabi's law that said, you know, an eye for an eye. Yeah. That's very, very old. Right? Yeah. And yet it repeats itself in, in, in the law, in, right. in, in the Old Testament. Right? Yeah. And, and then Jesus, you know, uh, he, 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 he dismantled that. Yeah. Right? Um, so I, I, think that, I, I think that they were pointing out to him. Like there's wisdom that they had right. available to them, and saying, look, because there isn't any culture that didn't have leprosy at that point. There right. isn't any culture that didn't have calamities that happened to sure. individuals. So they're just saying, look, these things happen to you because of of X. Right. I, and, and, I, and I was wondering, you know, would the whole would their whole uh, message have been, you know, better received if they were actually, you know, had some compassion and tried to help him as opposed to just. I I, I think you know it, it's funny that you you mentioned that. I think had they had compassion. He might have concluded that he did some horrible thing, <laughs> which would have been the wrong conclusion, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so maybe it's good that they were kind. Of, maybe it's good for him in a way that they were not the friends that he needed, you know. In that sense, he might have actually start to second guess himself, like these kind people. You know, you you hear that all the time. You talk to to somebody, and, and you know they'll have some people go, some cult or whatever comes to their door, but they're really nice people. Yeah, but they're really wrong. <laughs> so, uh, and there's people that get sucked in by really nice people. Uh, so, so that's a good that's a good point. Uh, so we go from verse seven through twenty, and what's interesting about this, um, and and we'll read it is, so Job is he's basically said he's kept on saying, "I wish you would just listen to me," right? Uh, he said that in the last speech he gave, and if you if you look at that. He goes through, really, you can break this down in almost the exact same outline that we just gave for Bildad's speech. It's almost the same. He addresses the same topics. So, so look, for, uh, look for here these verses that he'll go through almost the same order. He'll talk about what God has done. right? So he's setting up the, his conclusion is God has done it. I'm not guilty, but God has done this, and he handles... The topics of justice, emotion, uh, his physical effects, and his legacy. All right. Uh, so, so listen as we go through that, uh, starting in verse uh, seven. The steps of. Uh, let's, let's back up to verse uh, five, just to just to get his his setting it up. He says, "The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire doesn't." Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Where am I at here? I'm in. That's build that. Um, yeah, verse seven of chapter nineteen. He says, "If I cry out concerning wrong, I'm not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. Uh, he has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my my paths. He has stripped me of my glory, and he has taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I'm gone. My hope." 
has been uprooted like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me, and he counts me as one of my enemies. His troops come together, and they build up a road against me, and they encamp all around my tent. He has removed my brothers far from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed. My close friends have forgotten. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me like a stranger, and I'm an alien in, in their sight. I have called my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg with, I begged for him from my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am repulsive to the children of my own body. Uh, And I think that's interesting because his children are gone. Uh, so I think the idea, uh, does anybody have a, a different translation? I, I studied out of a different translation than the one I'm reading from, for verse 17. Um, okay. Which remember, at the end of Job, his brother, he does have family still on his yeah, he gets more children later. No, but he has, I believe, the brothers that bring Right, right, right. So, so there's, right, no, you're right. He, he talks about this. So uh, just verse 17 in this version talks about, it's just I've, I've never caught this before, um, that he's repulsive to the children of my own body. And then I, I, some, I think some said to the, the children of his own mother. Yeah, it says, okay. It says, my spirit is strange to my wife and my favors to the son of my mother's. Okay, so that that sounds so he would like like you're talking about like his extended family. So, um, uh, verse 18, he says, "Even the young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me, and my close friends hate me. Those who I, I love have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin, to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth." Hey, there's where that comes from. Uh, so, uh, so you see that same. He opens talking about just. This is a little bit of a different order. Um, but he just goes through and uses Bildad's outline. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking when I read this, because uh, I didn't have the other translation, but it said, My breath is offensive to my wife, and I'm repulsed, repulsed to the children of my own body. The breath is life, right? Yeah. And his wife literally says to him, Why don't you just curse God and die? Right. Right? So the fact that he, he lives. Yeah. Offensive. Yeah. Right. They 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 think he should be dead, and the fact that his children are dead, and 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 and, and he is alive, is offensive to them because they he should be with them. You know. And and you know, I, whenever, you know, uh, one of the things that you'll notice is is a really good point that you bring up, and I didn't really connect it until you said that, but you'll see um, situations where like a, a a kid has been kidnapped. Or, uh, or you know, and months go by, and even whether they find him or not, uh, you would think something like that would bring people together, like they're in it, and you'll find so many times that they're divorced within months. I think blame. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you? You should have done that. And then everyone's trying to figure out and, and go back in time, and what did we do wrong, and what did I do wrong, and what did you do wrong? And well, if you would have done that, if you wouldn't have been, you know, and and I, I think that's a a good point that maybe Job's wife, she's like, I'm not suffering. I'm not, so it's not me. You're the one suffering, so it's your problem. Why why didn't you die with them? Like like I despise the fact that you're even alive. 
you know, like you say. Um, so I think that's interesting. I've never really thought about that uh, before. <clears throat> uh, so so he goes through. Um, I want to pick out just a couple of the points here, but uh, he talks of it in that that part about legacy. There's just a couple of interesting notes here talking about how, like the servants don't even listen to him. Like I have to beg my I have to beg my servant to to do something for me. It's like, can you can you give me some first aid here? He's like got to beg him. Uh, he's like you wonder if well the servants he's got a servant in the house which is interesting. You know, maybe the one servant that brought back the message or the servants that brought back the message, I alone have survived. And these guys aren't even listening to him now. You know, like, there's, they're servants, they're listening to somebody, so I guess the only person in the house to listen to is the wife. And so the wife has turned him, like, if the wife is, is she saying, don't listen to him. I don't like him. <laughs> like, what a woman. Uh, and, and yet, and yet, God's going to bless her at the end of this. God's going to give her children after all of this. And, and God's not going to come, and Elihu's not going to rip her. I, that, that amazes me. Well, was it the same wife? I assume. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless he had multiples. I don't know. Um, but it's also like if she was, you know, believing the culture that maybe she thought he was hiding. You know, like he was not the man she knew. Right? Yeah. That could be why she became so bitter towards him because yeah. he thought he was lying and he had done some terrible things that this would have happened to right. him. Yeah. And these other friends are probably talking to her too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I wanted to clarify something. I think if I'm remembering correctly that we went through this and um, uh, in the, at the beginning it seems like there's a suggestion that, that he's got one wife. And I can't remember what verse that was that we went through in the, in the opening um, it seems like he's married to one person. Uh, so I just want to get down to the the, um, the very last bit here as we close. Um, he says, uh, nothing, verse 21, nothing has been left for him to eat, therefore his well-being is not last. His self-sufficiency, he'll be in distress every... Uh, oh, I'm in verse, chapter 20. I keep sending my glasses. All right. Um, Yeah, okay, it says, have pity on me, have pity on me, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me like God does? And you're not satisfied with my flesh. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock in an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. Listen to this section and think about what, what he knows and what he thinks of, doctrinally speaking. I know that my Redeemer lives... He will stand on the earth on the last day. After my skin is destroyed, I know this, that still in my flesh I will see God. I will see him for myself. My eyes will behold him and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you would say, how shall we persecute him since the root of the matter is found in me? Be afraid of the sword for yourselves, for wrath brings the judgment of the sword, so that you may know that there is a judgment. Without, I mean, this is, as we've said, probably the first actual written book of the Bible. Not, it's not the, the events aren't the oldest, but the book itself is probably the first written book of our Bible. And yet, he's got an idea 
not necessarily of Christ, but of a Redeemer. The title of Redeemer. A concept of Christ's return is not anywhere... The second, the second return of Christ is not anywhere in any of the other books of our Old Testament, but it is in the first one. Anyway, Moses never wrote about Christ's return. The prophets never wrote about Christ's return. But Job does. <laughs> That's amazing to me. Uh, a physical rec- uh, resurrection after your body has decomposed. Job believes that. And the final judgment, which he's warning his friends about, is like, uh, you better figure out things for yourself, because there's going to be a judgment. And I'm going to be on the right side of it. I mean, this is an amazing um, uh, book. Uh, so we're going to close with that.